For those of you who may be curious, that was Josh that uh, opened the service, and I'm Woody. We're the frickin' frack of the ministerial staff here at uh, South Baton Rouge uh, Presbyterian Church. I graduated high school in either late May or June of 1959 and began college in August of 1959. I received my baccalaureate degree in August of 1975. Yeah. Sixteen years is all it took. Students, there's hope. Parents, there's hope. There there were some extenuating circumstances, but uh, uh, such as not knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up, and and the wife and children and jobs and stuff like that that came in between. But but I tell you what, I was a fast study compared to Moses. Yeah. He has just spent the better part of 40 years uh, being instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt. And then when he finished that, he spent the next 40 years in graduate studies in the fields of humility and responsibility. But graduation day has come. About which we're going to talk in a minute. I'm going to say four things about it right after we pray. Our God and our Father, this is your word. Would you open it to us by your spirit? And would you open us to it? by that same Spirit. Lord, speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds and hearts and wills to receive and to act to your glory and praise forever. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It was just an ordinary day right up until God entered in a most extraordinary way. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, it just does. (laughs) We're going to look at the first ten verses of Exodus chapter 3, not at that whole passage that's printed in the bulletin. Uh, That was an overambitious thing on my part. We'll look at verses uh, 1 through 10 this morning. And the first thing to note about these verses is that God is God of the ordinary. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Just an ordinary day in the life of Moses like most every day for the previous 39 and three-fourths years or so. That doesn't mean that God wasn't involved. 
How did he come to be shepherding his father-in-law's sheep? Did it just happen to fall out that way? And here I've got to go on an excursus, uh, you know, follow up rabbit trail real quick. His father-in-law is called Jethro here, and for the rest of the way through the book of uh, Exodus, for some reason, he's called Jethro. Last week, in chapter 2, he's called Ruel. Does that bother you? Okay, it, it, it shouldn't. Some, it bothers some people. Why is he called that here? Why is he called that? Look, in three years, it would be my 60th high school reunion. If I were to go, you could come with me. And if you came with me, you would hear some people call me Woody. And then there are those who are step more removed in you know, our relationship who would call me Richard. And then there would be a, a couple who would call me R.W. for some strange reason, my initials. And there are some other names I would be called as well. But, but <laughs> the point is, we all have more than one name. There's not a soul in this room who hasn't been called something other than that one name. Uh, and so what's the big deal? It's the point. And by the way, the same thing can be said about Mount Horeb. Uh, we're going to turn the page and it's going to be Mount Sinai. Just get used to it. It's the only thing I know to, to tell you to do in, in, in studying the Bible. Yeah, things have more than one name. Back to what we're talking about. Uh, is that, did Moses just happen to be tending Jethro's sheep? Did he just happen to be tending them on the backside of nowhere, out in the wilderness? Did he just happen upon Mount Horeb, which will become known as the mountain of God, and it's called that here, but it'll be a while before, in the story before it actually comes to be known that. Or has God been active? on this ordinary day in the life of this ordinary man who's out shepherding his sheep on the backside of nowhere and comes up on Mount Horeb. Listen, Moses had an appointment with God that wasn't on his calendar. It wasn't in his day timer. It wasn't on his laptop in the calendar. He didn't have it on his cell phone or his tablet. He didn't know anything about it. But it was on God's calendar. And God made sure that Moses would keep that appointment. It's the same with your life and mine, isn't it? God's present God's working. He's working out his plan that you and I are part of and that you and I have a role in. God is working in every ordinary day of every ordinary life of every ordinary man and woman on this ordinary earth. That's the first point. 
Second, Roman numeral two, if you're kind of fastidious about your note taking, God breaks into ordinary days in extraordinary ways. And the angel of the Lord, verses two through six, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, not fathers, father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. A burning bush that didn't burn got Moses' attention, just so I could get your attention, so I could get my attention. It was burning and burning, and yet it wasn't consumed. It wasn't burned. There was a fire there, and yet the bush wasn't on fire. And so he drew nearer. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And that's where the story begins. Finally, we get to the start of the story. Everything we've said from cha- in chapters 1 and chapter 2 has been prologue, has been preliminary. Now the story comes. This is where the story always begins. Whose ever story it is? Whether it's Adam's in the garden, or Abraham's, or Moses, or yours, or mine, it starts with God's call. It starts with God reaching out, and then the story begins. Now, it's not all that strange to read here that, uh, that God's presence is seen in a flaming fire. Do you remember God's covenant with Abraham? We talked about it a little bit last week. In the 15th chapter of, of Genesis, the carcasses of the animals that have been split half in two and laid in two rows And God passes between them to to cut the covenant, to guarantee the covenant. If if I don't keep this covenant, let this be done to me. And ordinarily, the two parties to the the covenant would have gone through that. But but Abraham's not to do it, only God. A lot to be said about that. But do you remember? Do you remember what? Abram saw when God passed between those animals? Do you remember what God looked like? What man could see? 
a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. That's what Abram saw. And then as we go on in the story, and, and God through Abram, uh, through Moses, leads Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. He goes before them and he leads them. God does. In a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then they finally get to Sinai. which was wrapped in smoke, the Bible says, because the Lord God had descended on it in fire. And later we read, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And it's like that throughout Scripture, isn't it? The identification of God and fire. And if not an identification, certainly a relationship. Time and again we hear of God and we hear of fire. Your fire and we hear of God. This fire is in a bush and it's not consumed. And yet we read in the book of Hebrews. Our God is a consuming fire. And that judgment will be a judgment of fire. Time and time and time again. God and fire. It's the revelation, this this fire that can't be quenched. of God's eternity and self-sufficiency, says Philip Ryken. He goes on to say, like the burning bush, God never runs out of fuel. It's the self-sufficiency of God being shown. There's a lot of other things that we don't have time to go into. It's not at all surprising that God would make his appearance Moses out of a fiery flame. At some point we have to deal with the fact that the angel of the Lord was in the fire. Not to be said there to I'll cut to the chase. I believe the same thing the early church did. I've looked at all the other explanations of it and the best one I can find is that it was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The Word of God, the communication of God, the Logos. Before He had a body, before He took on man. If you read the text, He doesn't speak for God, He speaks as God. Who else can do that? But Jesus. Here's the thing to note. That that bush burning and yet not burning up. The 
angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, the word of God, the eternal son of God in his pre-incarnate state, calling out, getting Moses' attention. It's just that. All of this has to do with God bringing Moses to himself. You see? Moses. Moses. Same way he called Abraham. Same way he called Jacob. Same way he called Samuel. And Saul of Tarsus. Story about Samuel, because I see his big brother Oliver out there. I have a son named Sam, and I happen to be studying Hebrew when he was about two years old. And when you start studying Hebrew, well, back then uh, in the Dark Ages, uh, the first thing they give you to translate on your own as an assignment is the third chapter of First Samuel. The reason they did that is one, it's easy Hebrew. And two, it's repetitive. And, and so you get to translate the same word five or six times, you know, and, and pretty soon you, you kind of get it. And one of the repetitive phrases is God speaking to Samuel, calling young Samuel, Shemuel, Shemuel, to which he replies, Hey, you're alive. And Oliver's laughing. Well, that's the way I called Sam. If, if Sam called me while I was standing up here and I saw it was Sam, I would answer my cell phone, Shemuel, Shemuel. And there'd be a kind of disgusted voice on the other end saying, Hanani, uh, you know. <laughs> so along come Oliver and Samuel. They were in the nursery. I don't know how old they were, but they were in the nursery. Sam was in the nursery. And I would see Sam, and I told him the story of my son Sam. And I started to call him. Every time I see him, Shemuel, Shemuel. And then he, well, Sam is And he grinned and he said, Hanani. And he looked at me and said, Mr. Woody, I have hated that. <laughs> he said, I used to just cringe. I said, I know it, but you know, you needed that. You know, help make you the boy you are today, the man you are today. Wow, that's an aside, all of that. But Moses, Hanani, Hanani. But then immediately, stop. Don't come any closer. Take the sandals off your feet. This is holy ground. There's nothing about that ground that was any holier. It wasn't any different than all the other ground. Except God was there. God was there. And it became a holy, 
a sanctified place. Moses needed that reminder. And so do we. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, because God is holy and pure and perfect, and Moses wasn't. Have you ever read the 15th Psalm, Psalm 15? That one that starts, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who will dwell on your holy hill? And then you go to the next verses, which are all the prerequisites for doing so. And you know you've just been eliminated because whoever the psalmist is writing about, it's not you. How will you stand before God? The fact is, you won't. You can't accept in Jesus. Accept in Jesus Christ and in his righteousness. Then God further identified himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I can tell you, uh, start to say three things, but I figured out I know four things about Moses' father. He was a Levite. His name, we find out later in the book of uh, Exodus, was Amram, something like that. His God was Yahweh, because Yahweh just said so. And he acted in faith. Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses' parents hid him, etc. That's all we know about him. But there he is, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is pretty heady company. Until Phil Phil Rocky says, until you remember what sort of folks they were and all their flaws and faults, shortcomings, but still pretty heady company. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And in Christ, you're in that same lineage. Paul writes, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Woody. What? The God of Jerry. <laughs> the God of Chuck. The God of Jesse. What? It's that big. It's that good. It's that extraordinary. 
And the reason, there's a reason that's so. This is Roman number three. God has an extraordinary plan. Verses seven through nine. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Quiz time. You remember the last two verses? Especially the last verse of chapter 2. That's what we looked at last week. And I gave you a specific assignment. I said, you remember verse 24. Would you like to stand up and recite it? Remember, it's about God who hears, who sees, who knows. Who remembers? I told you to remember that. It's important that you know that, that you've got it salted away. God hears, God sees, God knows, God remembers. Did you just hear that? About God hearing, remembering, seeing, knowing. God sees, here it says, hears, knows, he acts. So he comes to deliver them. He comes down to bring them up to a beautiful land, the promised land. He comes down so they can be brought up. And the propulsive agent of that coming down, of God's presence there in that burning bush on this otherwise ordinary day, was the cry of his people. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard. Chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, parts of each verse. It's the prayer of the people. So interesting that that's the first time you read of their praying, their crying out to God. They've been there 400 years. They've been enslaved for how much of that? And things have gotten worse and worse and worse till finally they couldn't stand it anymore. And they said, well, we've tried everything else. Hmm, what if we prayed? God. I don't think they thought that way. I think it was just they were pushed and pushed and pushed. And what do you do? When you can do nothing else, you cry out to God. But it's the last thing, isn't it? So often. And it was with our spiritual forefathers. Which leads to number four, somehow or other. God's extraordinary plan is coming down to rescue these people. Roman number four, God uses ordinary people to carry out that extraordinary plan. 
Come, verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses? Moses? Number one, he's 80 years old. Number two, he's already been rejected by both the Egyptians and the Israelites. Number three, he killed a man there in Egypt. That Moses? Yes, said Stephen. Acts chapter 3, that Moses. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. That Moses. That Moses. God comes. And gives him the work of bringing his people out. You know what? God is still calling imperfect, sinful people to himself in salvation, to himself for service in his kingdom here on earth. It's always a twofold call. Come to me and be ye saved to all the ends of the earth. And then it's go. It's always go. And tell them, make disciples, and bring them in. You ordinary people carry out my extraordinary plan. Fallen, sinful, undeserving people for whom God came down in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to deliver out of their bondage to sin, to Satan, and to the world, and to the flesh, and to bring to Himself forever. First here, and in time, the land He's promised. And he's enabled us to sing on our way. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Where all those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away. No chilling winds or poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness and sorrow, pain and death are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place? I'll be forever blessed, for I shall see my Father's face and in his bosom rest. I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. I am bound, I am bound for the promise oh who will come and go with me I am bound for the promised land do we sing those words who come and go with me when we sing it shame on us it's the most important words in the, in, in the gospel song 
Otherwise, it's pretty self-centered. I, 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 me, me, me. This is what I get. That's glorious truth. But what has God called us to do on our way to the promised land? Oh, who will come and go with me? Will you? Will you? Will you? Will you? Will you? Will you? That's our work. I'm going to the promised land. Will you come? Will you come? Will you know Jesus? In Jesus, will you know this extraordinary God? With this extraordinary will and this extraordinary plan for all eternity. Well, here comes the conclusion. It's today, an ordinary day. Oh, it's the Lord's day, but it's an ordinary Lord's day. And what do we do on an ordinary Lord's day? We come to church to worship our ordinary thing. It's an ordinary event. It's just where God ordinarily works. We come and we sit and we open the Bible and we hear God's word. We're confronted with God's gospel. We're being called. God calls. Every time the book is opened, his word is read or heard. It's God calling. He's calling you this morning in this place this ordinary place on this ordinary day to an extraordinary extraordinary future if you're not a Christian he's calling you to come to faith in Christ to entrust your rest of your life the rest of eternity to this man Jesus who bore the sins of the world on the cross of Jerusalem. If you're already a Christian, he's calling you to serve in his kingdom. He's calling you to call others to Christ. He's calling you to faithfully serve the Lord Jesus all of which begs certain questions. Have you heard him? Have you answered him? Will you?